Good morning. morning. It's good to be here. Uh, This is full. This is great. Um, And there's snow outside. It reminds me of Denver where I live. So uh, thanks for that too. Um, It is a privilege to be here. I've never been here before. It's it's interesting because my father's family is from Quinton. So here I am. uh, My old uh, stomping grounds with my dad. Uh, My mother was Guatemalan, as we've already mentioned. And um, I'll get to that in just a moment, but today is, you know, we're celebrating MLK Day, right? Not Martin Luther King Day. And I think it's important for us to try to relate it to immigration. I mean, that's what I've been asked to do. That's what I've wanted to do. But as I've traveled the country and spoken on immigration, it's been interesting to see how African Americans are getting involved in this. I was um, in Cleveland a couple years ago. And the head of the uh, area chapter of one of the African-American associations was there, a pastor. I asked him, what are you doing here? (laughs) And he said, we're seeing people do to Hispanics what they used to do to us years ago. And that's why we're here. There's a very wonderful African-American evangelical leader called John Perkins. And what he says is that immigration is the next civil rights movement. This is why it's important. This is the next battleground of civil rights immigration. Now, I'm half Guatemalan. My mother was Guatemalan, my father an American. I was born and raised in Houston, and we would spend all our summers in Guatemala. We would drive down. Uh, it's a four-day drive. Uh, we'd go to Brownsville for the first night, and we'd cross at Matamoros, which means kill the Moors, great name for a town. Then we'd spend a night in Tampico, Veracruz, we'd go to Tapachula and cross at Tecunumán into Guatemala. So I spent all my summers growing up in Guatemala. Our neighbors for 11 years were my aunt and uncle from Guatemala. And my family's friends in Houston were Cubans. There's a large Cuban population in Houston. Now the Cubans uh, are a different group because the Cubans by U.S. law, if they touch U.S. soil, they're legal. And that's why they come across on boats, and if they touch U.S. soil, they can get in. That's why sometimes the U.S. won't let them land. Now, the, the only Latin American group that can do this, you see, is the Cubans. And it's because of Fidel Castro, right? But those are the only Latins that I knew growing up in Houston. Uh, a couple of times, I was raised Roman Catholic, we went to Nuestra Señora de la Lupe Church for midnight mass, Christmas Eve. A couple of times, my father went to the Mexican part of town and got some mariachis to sing for my mother's birthday. I love mariachis. I can do that. Then I worked in Guatemala for many years before coming to Denver. I'm still adjunct in Guatemala City every, every summer. But it's when I came to Denver that I began to, for the first time, to engage the immigrant thing in ways that I'd never had to before. My mother was an immigrant, married to an American. But I look Anglo, so no one ever bothered me. I'm also six foot six. But for the first time, I come into Denver and I meet Hispanics who don't know Spanish. I've never met people like that before. The Cubans all spoke Spanish, and I was raised by Anglo and 
in Guatemala, and so I've never even encountered Hispanics who didn't speak Spanish or they spoke a Spanglish, which is interesting, kind of odd words, like troca, you pick up truck. Right? <laughs> Any Hispanics here? Okay. I'm in. And then they have things like llamarme para atrás which is an anglicism for call me back, which makes no sense in Spanish. And then you would talk about un viaje redondo, which means a round trip, which makes no sense because trips aren't, trips aren't round. Yeah, they would, though, we would say in proper So I was trying to learn the lingo. I mean, what, what, what did he do today? And so for the first few years in Denver, I didn't even engage the immigrant question. I didn't know what to do with it. And then I had a Peruvian in class. And he said, no, we need to start something in Spanish. And so kind of the hound of heaven, you know, for a couple of years. Wow, he wouldn't let me go. <laughs> so we started a Hispanic program at Denver Seminary, myself and a student. And that's when I began to hear the stories for the first time. And that's what changed me. And what really bothered me was that even as I talked to Christian friends who claimed the faith, as I would have a conversation with them about immigration, there was nothing Christian about the conversation. It was about the economics. You know, the hospital, emergency rooms being over, overfilled crowded schools, too many languages. It was Hispanic games. Why don't they learn English? Those kind of discussions. Now you've got to get to those discussions. Well my question was, what would a Christian conversation look like? Would it change the tone of the conversation? Would it change the substance of the conversation. And that's when I write that book. <laughs> Just to do something. Now this morning, I have three points. You always have three points for a sermon, right? They don't alliterate, so I don't know. But three points. As I have time, the clock here, I'll tell you these stories. The first thing is that immigrants are people. <laughs> Genesis 1. Every human being is made in the image of God. Now, if you read Genesis 1, a lot of people think the image of God is about you know, who we are, what we have. We have a mind, we have emotions, uh, we have a will, we have a spiritual side, and that's true. But if you read the text, it talks about ruling the earth. You see, immigrants, just like any other human being, have infinite potential. They can rule the earth, for goodness sake. And so now when you talk about legislation, you're not just talking about control. You're talking about facilitating for the common good. Of unleashing the potential of all these millions of people. So when I begin the conversation of immigration, I say, let's begin chapter 1, verse 1, page 1 of your Bible. Well, Romans 13, good night, it's about a page 1. Well, yes it is, but 
In my Bible, that's about page 1200. There's a lot before we get to Romans 13. Don't do the helicopter. Land in Romans 13 and come back out again. Let's start at the beginning. People. Even the words we use. Illegal alien. We use that for space creatures. Right? And this is a true story. I just come in from Guatemala. I just moved to the States and I was in class. And so help me, this student comes up to me after class one day. And he goes, Dr. Carroll, there are aliens in the Bible? <laughs> and I said, well, it says aliens. No, aliens in the Bible? <laughs> then it hit me. Space creatures. <laughs> no, not those kinds of aliens. But see, when does an alien become a human being? That's the question, isn't it? Even the labels we give don't give them a chance. Immigrants is people. The second thing is immigration in the Bible. Make this rule illiterate. Immigration, immigrants is people, immigration is other. Everything is with an I. Immigration in the Bible. Some great stories in the Bible. It's full of immigrants. Abram, right? These Ur of the Chaldees, you know, you go down. And he goes up to Quran, and then he comes down into Canaan. And his whole life, he never settles down. He's a migrant. He's a Bedouin, for goodness sake. The only piece of ground he buys in chapter 23 is to bury his wife. And as he buys that piece of ground, he even tells the Hittites from whom he's buying this, I'm a foreigner. But you know the story, don't you? See, he comes down in chapter 12 of Genesis, and after being there just a while, there's a famine in the land, and, and he has to go to Egypt for food. So this is why people migrate, isn't it? Food, work, better life. And he gets to the border, and he tells his wife, look, if they ask you, 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 you tell them that you're my sister, not my wife. You see, what you see Abram, the father of the faith, doing, is lying to get across. He's got to feed his family. And he's the head of a clan, so it's not just the, the nuclear family. I mean, he's got all kinds of people he has to feed, and if he's got to lie to get across, he'll do it. What's the choice? Go back into the desert? Joseph? Well, he gets taken and marries an Egyptian woman, has, changes his name, is dressed like an Egyptian has Egyptian children in the government. Boy, that's assimilated, isn't it? But when his brothers come, he still remembers his mother tongue. You can be bilingual. You know I said that went. You can speak here this morning, this morning, if you have any problems, you can speak with me with much pleasure. Bilingual, he never forgets his mother tongue. Ruth is a story of a woman trying to assimilate. She marries an Israelite. She marries an immigrant. That's how the story begins. And then she becomes the immigrant. And the story is the story of assimilation. Daniel's a great story. You know Daniel? 
They changed his name. You're not going to be Jose anymore. You're going to be Joe. They changed the name. They tried to, to rewire them and re-educate them so they can serve the empire. And they're the very best at it. You know that? In fact, I was talking to someone from Phoenix a couple of years ago. Eight of the 11 valedictorians in that basin were undocumented immigrant children. Sharp. But they said, you know, uh, let us keep our food. That's how you know a culture, isn't it? By the food. You know, I've had this with my wife. You know, she's an American, Anglo, and what do you eat for Christmas? Well, tacos and tamales and frijoles. Noche buena, Christmas Eve. She does the turkey and ham thing. So we had a compromise. So noche buena, it's taquitos con frijol y tamales. Guatemalan tamales, which are better than Mexican ones, actually. Do I hear it, Amy? <laughs> and then on Christmas Day, it's the turkey and all this. Stuff. I mean, it's great. I mean, you gain a lot of weight, but it's a good time. <laughs> you look at Daniel. You know, let us keep our food. That's the call. And if you want to know where the Hispanic part is in, in Denver, look for the restaurants. Pupuserias. Pupuserias. Taquerias. I take students every other year to Guatemala. I tell them, look, better like black bean. We're going to have it for breakfast, and we're going to have it for lunch, and we're going to have it for dinner. And you can do it anyway. We can do parados, you know, whole. We can do rice and beans. We can do boteados, which are kind of mashed, and they flip them around, and it looks like a meatloaf, and you just slice it. We can do black bean soup. We can do pan con frijol. We can do beans any way you want. That's okay, Shakira. You know, we have canobas and chipotle. We can do this. Okay. After about three days, Dr. Kino, for the love of God, can we have some American food? Then <laughs> I tell him, look, movie night, I treat pizza in a movie. Right outside the seminary gate, there's a walk-in Domino's pizza. You have Domino's out here? See, what I don't tell him is what I'm all from the only place in the world. You have black bean pizza. <laughs> it's the food, for goodness sake. Daniel. You ever read Daniel's immigrant story? Laws about immigration in the Old Testament. All kinds of laws. I'm going to go into all the details. I'm an Old Testament prophet, but I'm watching my clock. But if you look at the provision for immigration in the Old Testament law, God gives them two motivations. You never to forget that once you were in Egypt, and look how they treated you. Cheap, forced labor. And you read the story, that's exactly what it is, isn't it? And something triggers in Exodus chapter 1 the fear of the Egyptians. There's just too many of these Israelites. It's the numbers that scares them. That sounds familiar. What do you have to do? You've got to control the population. 
And they come up with these draconian laws of killing little boys. But there it is. The human fear of the other, just too many of them around. Let's control the numbers. And then to make it even harder for them to work. We won't give you any straw for the bricks, but you've got to build them anyway. Which makes no sense at all because those make bad bricks and they're for Egyptian buildings. What kind of sense is that? That's what we do in this country. Make it harder for them to work even as we need the work. God said, don't you ever forget. And that's what's happened in this country, isn't it? The majority culture has forgotten their immigrant roots. They have forgotten the Irish ghettos, even here in Boston. They have forgotten the Italian marginalized communities, even here in Boston. Oh, we have some immigrant memories. It's about food. You know, Aunt Martha, you know, Aunt Martha, you know uh, she has a, this food. You know, we are Austrian. Really, you speak German? No, but, you know, we're Austrian. We do the genealogy thing, and we have royal roots, uh, you know. Everyone who does genealogies ends up with some kind of king or queen somewhere. Funny how it works. But that's an immigrant number. The family recipe that's been in the family for generations. And so we have St. Patrick's Day. That's about the Irish. And we all dress up in green. And we drink green beer. Right? And then Oktoberfest. Oktoberfest is about the Germans. And we drink beer. Right? Columbus Day about the Italians. Wine, not beer. What you're hearing is immigrant memory. But the very thing God said, never forget the hard labor, the marginalization, the laws against you and your children, those things that the Irish and the Italians went through and the Germans went through in the 19th and early 20th century, they have forgotten that. It's all about the food and the green beer. Now you know why God said, don't ever forget because when you forget, you will repeat the same things against other people that were done against you. And I would say that in this country. We've forgotten our immigrant memories and the things that were done to other groups 150, 100, 60, 70, 80 years ago, we repeat today. The laws, and the second reason he says, you will love them because I love them. Deuteronomy 10. What other motivation do we want? You see, from cover to cover, it's a book full of immigrant stories from Abram to Jesus as a refugee running away. Written by migrant people in exile or on the run. It's a book written by migrants in a migrant life the whole book. Immigration is the Bible. Lastly, third eye, immigration, or immigrants as people, immigration is the Bible. Thirdly, immigration in the Christian faith. This is the hard one. See if we can get our hands or our minds around this. First Peter chapter 2 tells us that all Christians are sojourners and aliens 
foreigners, strangers in this land. The funny thing is, we are all strangers in a strange land, but for those who are citizens, this isn't a strange place anymore. We kind of like it. In fact, we want to keep the strangers out. (laughs) See how we got it all backwards? But you see, here's the point that I'm trying to make. All Christians are immigrants. Strangers, foreigners, aliens, whatever your version says. Because we are citizens of another kingdom. This should be a strange place. We don't belong here. You see, but for the majority culture, it's just a metaphor. For the immigrant, it's something they live. They know what it means to be strange. They know what it means to be a foreigner. They know what it means to live in exile. It's not just a metaphor for the Christian faith. It is the experience of their daily life. And here's the hard part. Maybe we need the immigrants to teach us what it means to be a Christian. Because they understand what it means to be vulnerable, to be a stranger in a strange land, to wrestle with the language and how you play the game. They live the metaphor. We need them. To show us Christian faith. This is the next civil rights movement. These are real people. Image of God. It's cover to cover. And it's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. So, on this Martin Luther King Day celebration. May we appreciate people not people not for the color of their skin, but for the quality of their character, he would say. And that applies in limits too. May God bless you, que Dios les bendiga ricamente. Muchas gracias.